didn't want to become just a victim on stage telling the story of the massacre of witches, but also the strength and the wisdom and the knowledge. Hello and welcome to the Terpsichore podcast. We're back in 2023 to bring you more intimate conversations with leading women in dance. If you're new to the podcast, my name is Emily May. I'm a British-born dance writer and critic, and I've been based in Berlin, Germany, since 2018. Named after the Greek goddess of dance and chorus, and also an allusion to historian Sally Baines' seminal book on postmodern dance, Terpsichore and Sneakers, Terpsichore celebrates female dancers, choreographers, and bodies in motion by interviewing leading women from the dance industry. For episode 15 of the podcast, I invited Berlin-based dance artist Joy Alperto Ritter to discuss her life, career, and the artists that have inspired her. Joy grew up in Freiburg in South Germany, and in her youth, she was trained at the Ballettschule Armin Krein and learned Philippine folk dance in the cultural dance group led by her mother. After training at the Palooka School in Dresden, Joy started working as a freelance dancer in Berlin, where she also learned urban dance styles such as hip-hop and voguing. In 2011, Joy joined Cirque du Soleil as a dancer and aerial artist for the Michael Jackson Immortal World Tour. And since 2013, she has been a dancer and rehearsal director for Akram Khan Company, dancing in works including It Moy and Until the Lions. Now, Joy is focusing on creating her own choreographic works. Her solo Babai, a reimagining of Mary Vigman's Witch Dance, was shown as part of Aerowave's Spring Forward Festival in 2020, and has since toured extensively around Europe at festivals including Dance Umbrella in London. After speaking to Joy about Babai numerous times for post-show talks, I couldn't wait to invite her on the the podcast to delve deeper into her journey into dance, the many different styles she's trained in over the course of her career, and her dreams for the future. Hi Joy, so great to be speaking with you today. How are you doing and where are you speaking to us from? Hello Emily, nice to see you again. Yeah, I'm in France at the moment near Paris. I'm teaching here workshops at the Théâtre du Corps. I'm here for the week before I go back to Berlin. Yeah, it's so nice to have a Berlin-based artist on the podcast because I haven't actually had anyone who's also based in Berlin yet. So it's nice to represent Berlin and the city where we both live. Totally, I've been living there for a while. I'm also happy to reconnect with the Berlin people and artists and I'm also having shows soon there so yeah I'm happy to go back enjoying the traveling but also living in Berlin is quite convenient so you said you've been here for a while now where are you from originally where did you grow up I grew up in South Germany in Freiburg actually it's at the border between Switzerland and France when I was 17 I moved to Dresden and then four years later to Berlin, so since 2004. Home for a while now. On that kind of retrospective look, I wanted to go back to the very beginning and ask you about your first experiences with dance and how you became interested in the art form, as we ask everyone who comes on the podcast if they can remember the initial starting point. Yes, so that's been a long time ago. Since I'm a child, I always have been very active physically I loved music my parents by the way met in a dance class actually my mom also used to dance in a Philippine folk dance troupe in the US I guess maybe that's why it's somehow in my blood but I started dancing with ballet so I moved to Germany when I was five so mom just put me into a ballet class because I felt I needed this output of physicality with music. And at the same time, my mom was also leading a Philippine traditional dance group near Freiburg. She taught me the Philippine folk dances, which was amazing. And I'm very grateful about that because at that time, I've never been to the Philippines, but I was learning 
about my culture actually in Germany, which is interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's how it started. And later on, I went to the Palooka school. But yeah, those were the beginnings as a, starting with ballet and Philippine folk dance. Could you tell us a little bit about Philippine folk dance? Obviously, I know it must be such a wide style. Or as you said, there's lots of different dances, but for someone who hadn't seen it before as like a style of movement or genre, how would you describe it or some of the movements and the movement language? So Philippines has a lot of different islands and a lot of influences. There's these dances that have more an indigenous roots, which are more spiritual and also the body and movements in connection with nature. And then you also have other dances that are have more the Spanish influence because of the colonization. So lots of guitars and singing. Then there's also another part that is influenced by the Muslim religion. So they're quite different. The one famous one is the tinikling, which is with big long bamboo sticks and two people are on the end and they clap the bamboos together within the rhythm and one dancer's in the middle and is jumping in between those bamboos. You have to be careful that your foot doesn't get caught in the middle, but that's kind of the game and the dance, which is quite celebrative and happy dance. It's one of the most famous ones in the Philippine folk dance. Did you have any favorites to learn when you were growing up? Yeah, well, there's a children dance. It's called Itiketik and it's about birds flying and being fed. So we've been flying around with our arms. There's a lot of hand gestures and also, of course, a strict separation of what the female does and what the male people do. But there's something very empowering, what I find really interesting of the female interpretation of also focusing on the pelvis and also the strength of the woman, where you can also feel the responsibility within the family or within the community. There's also this dance where they carry the pots on top of their head and it symbolizes the women walking up and down the mountains to fetch water for the families uh, which is also very beautiful it's so interesting hearing you talk about it because i can already see the influences in babai your solo work but we'll talk about that a little bit later so you mentioned after starting in ballet and philippine folk dance you went on to train at the palooka school in dresden before going when did you realize that you wanted to pursue dance professionally was it always from a young age when you were learning from your mom that you knew that you wanted to make it a career or did it transition from being a hobby to something more serious yeah it was more a hobby i just loved to do it i noticed that my ballet teacher amin klein who was a long mentor he really believed in me and really pushed me and was very strict with me it was almost like a father figure and he really believed in me becoming a professional dancer so he made me join the prix de lausanne which is a big international ballet competition in order to compare myself with international dancers and to you know motivate me to go for it and to work hard <laughs> I wasn't at that time maybe ready emotionally <laughs> as a young teenager to be confronted with so much great other dancers but after that I was really committed to really go for it and then that's when I decided to yeah become a professional dancer my teacher said well if you want to be one then you have to do a dance education in those times so I would have to audition to several ballet schools, which I did. So I auditioned in Bijar School in Lausanne. I auditioned in Krankow, Stuttgart, in Neumeyer in Hamburg. 
But none of those schools took me, and it was quite uh, frustrating in the beginning. I didn't feel like maybe my body was perfectly matching with other students, I guess. So it was quite hard trying to believe to really become a professional dancer, but having always these pushing me back to maybe doubting that pathway. I was lucky that my family was supporting me a lot, my ballet teacher also. Then I auditioned at the Poluca School, and they're more focused on modern dance, ballet too, but also modern dance. And that's when they took me and I was really happy and <laughs> thought, okay, maybe it's going to happen. So maybe it will work out to take this professional path. And then while you were at the Palooka School and having more of a focus on modern dance, what were some of the things you most enjoyed or do you think were some of the greatest lessons that you learned there? And then also as a kind of secondary note, I was interested to ask, is there much focus on Greta Paluka's work still at the school and her approach? I know from training at Laban, we don't just train in Laban's theories or approaches, but his choreological studies and thoughts about efforts and movements still had quite an influence on what we were doing. Was that the same at the Paluka school in terms of Greta Paluka's approach to movement? It was very technical based. So what I really can say, what I took a lot from was the technical, physical ability and the drilling of these skills of precision. In connection with Paloka, my class I was in, we were lucky to be the class that was able to learn dances from Great Paloka, from Mary Wigman, Doro Roya. So we learned the original version of these and we performed like a homage a Paloka in some cities. And that was also really, you know, it's a historical dances. For a young person, maybe not so exciting, but in the end, when I think back, it was, you know, it's, it's precious to learn, to really go into the quality, into the history of dance and to really understand where it actually comes from and how those dances made a revolution into and what it is now. There's also this serenata from Great Paluka that some of us has been dancing, which is a very slow moving ballad music. She was very graceful, the solo. I don't know anything about her personally, about Great Paluka. I just heard she was very strict. <laughs> That's what I know. And at those times, I was the one who was also dancing the Mary Wigman witch dance, learning the original from the video. But then there were choreographers that used to be in the Paluka school who extended the version and were able to choreograph also pieces. So that was like a whole homage at Paluka evening. Amazing. It's so interesting to hear that I knew that you'd already learned witch dance uh, from Mary Wigman, but didn't realize you'd done all these others as well, which makes so much sense considering other works you've gone on to do now, which again, I'm going to say we can come to later. You're building up so well and nicely to my later questions. But I wanted to first ask you about graduating and after graduating, transitioning into the contemporary dance world, but also just the dance world in general and working as a freelancer. I believe that you moved to Berlin after graduating, right? Was it almost immediately afterwards? Yes. I mean, the school was four years. It was quite a hard time. I mean, I, I learned a lot. It was a lot of about endurance, discipline. I guess I also find my way how to emotionally be stable in these times, I must say. And I also took the freedom to go out in the weekend to release some tension in hip hop parties because that was my other passion. <laughs> So I had the, during the week, the ballet training, modern training in the weekend, I just danced myself free, if you may say. So I think that balance kept me quite emotional, stable, because it was also hard for some other people. Of course, I mean, education can be really tough. So also the pressure of finding a job and also 
telling us that we have to actually audition to Staatstheater, to state theaters. That was the goal. So I've been auditioning in many, many places in Europe, taking the night train here and there, meeting people from all over the world. A lot of competition, like, I don't know, over 100 people and there was just one job. So it was not easy. Also sort of finding those auditions on the magazine, buying the Tanz magazine on the corner shop to figure out, okay, where can I audition? So it was not easy till I found a job, but then it was Christoph Winkler, a freelance choreographer from Berlin, who accepted me. And I wasn't really familiar with the freelance scene, but through his work and later on, I really appreciated this freedom and also the diversity and the different influences and collaborations I was able to do with other dancers from different backgrounds. That's how I moved to Berlin. And I also used this shift of doing things I always was interested in, also taking hip-hop classes or, you know, exploring other dance styles and that gave me a lot of new passion and energy to redefine myself as a dancer after a strict more hierarchical education academic education so that was also very interesting for me to get in touch with the subculture and the hip-hop culture that is more about exchange and self-identification and expressing yourself in your way or your unique way where maybe weaknesses can become your strength. So um, that was really beautiful and I was very happy to get in touch with that. That's so interesting and I love what you said about turning to hip-hop like a release because I think it must be hard as well like when dance has been your hobby or at least this is what I found when until training dance has been your hobby that's been your release but then when it becomes your full-time and your career you lose that release so it's interesting how you find a new style to become that sense of like letting go. I'm really interested as well in you saying about trying out these new styles in Berlin, hip-hop and breaking and I believe you also tried voguing, you started learning voguing where was that and what attracted you to that style and that community? It is releasing and expression. It is also hard work. I mean, it's all a technique. It's all a certain energy. It's all very connected to music and in its history. But there's something very empowering within it and also the support within the community, mostly. Starting with uh, breaking and then going into hip-hop, I was very excited about doing battles like dance competitions like Juste Debout or Funk and Styles at the Défi Payette in France and a few Estonia, Hamburg. It was not about money, it was really about, you know, celebrating the culture, exchanging and hanging out with friends. And later on, Voguing came to Berlin. Rather, my friend Georgina, who is now House of Saint Laurent, she actually initiated and brought Voguing into Berlin. Through her knowledge and connections in the US, the community grew bigger and bigger in Berlin. That made me also take classes, but then really enjoying that very female side of me to express myself in that way. And then I also did some balls. I really felt like I did what I felt like doing. I didn't limit myself. Of course, there was also this crisis of identity to ask myself, okay, where do I belong? Am I a contemporary dancer? Am I a hip-hop? Should I focus more on voguing? So it's also moments of questioning, do I have to make a decision? And I guess in the pure technique, you for sure need to focus for a while in order to master the style. But later on, I kind of accepted all these elements within my body, also the training from Paluka was very intense, but it somehow is still in my body, the technique that I could still use also even in styles of hip-hop or voguing. So I really noticed, ah, I can 
I can accept all these elements and find my own way in connecting them and researching and expressing myself through that. With the years, I gain more confidence in trying really to train or practice these styles, but then also to find connections within the techniques in terms of energy and concepts and also the different approaches of how we learn steps. Yeah, a nice balance of life of working as a freelance dancer, but also going into the underground subculture <laughs> events. It's something that I think you do so well now your own choreographic work bringing in all these different influences from these styles was it really hard to learn all of these different things first I'm just thinking about like comparing it with it's not dance but I'm still in the process of learning German like switching between German and English is really difficult you know you have to really as you said submerge yourself in something before you can maybe go on to learn something else was it difficult coming from primarily doing your training at Palooka to approaching all of these different styles yes I was somehow the ballet dancer or contemporary dancer when I went to hip-hop sessions I was somehow the contemporary dancer but really trying to practice the groove and first hide that I'm actually a ballet dancer <laughs> I had my training mostly starting with breaking and then hip-hop in that like several times a week so just focusing on that I let go of ballet in those times after my palooka school and was focusing more on the urban dance elements because also the muscles have changed of course you get more strength in the arms and the shoulders it takes time to build these muscles so I for sure was just focusing on that later on ballet came again also through other works where we had always ballet class so then it's always a shift of the body even when I went to sleep I was sleeping in different positions depending on which training I was doing <laughs> that's amazing that's so interesting so yeah actually it was kind of physical transformation but for sure I was taking months or even years to focus on one or two styles and later on with all the years I felt more free and confident to mix them it's like you learn all your colors in, in cards before you can play a game so knowing all these tools and qualities I could play with them and I I could be more free within it. All of this discovery of different styles, this was happening, as we said, in Berlin, in Germany. I wanted to ask a little bit just to have a little love letter to Berlin as well. Obviously, you moved there for the job at first, but what did you enjoy about coming to Berlin when you did? Do you find it a good city to be based as a freelance dance artist? Berlin has changed within the years, but at that time also worked with the Oxymoron Dance Company in Potsdam, led by Anja Koschik. There were many mostly b-boys, b-girls in that piece, and then also so I worked with Heike Hennig in Leipzig. Berlin was, first of all, quite cheap to live at <laughs> those times. It was easy to, you know, live a good life with less money. And there was lots of other artists and space to collaborate or experiment in freelance scene, small theaters, but there's also a few big theaters. And also, you know, the club scene is quite strong also in Berlin. So that was great to enjoy the diversity of the city and not being so expensive <laughs> like maybe other big cities. <laughs> Of course, within the years, things are more expensive. It's harder to get an apartment. So I was very lucky to arrive in those times. But it's still amazing. I mean, the amount of artists are growing, of course. There's more competition, but there's also more exchange and a lot to see. Also, in terms of connections within the disciplinaries of music, hip-hop, 
contemporary ballet or electronic music. So even musicians, dancers or visual artists, there's a lot of curiosity. I feel people who go to Berlin, they want to explore and exchange. Maybe there's not much money to earn, but there's space to be creative. <laughs> I definitely get that impression as well. So after we've talked about this time when you were freelancing a lot, mainly based out of Berlin, but then I know after that you went on to become a dancer and an aerial artist with Cirque du Soleil in the Michael Jackson Immortal World Tour. How did this opportunity come about and how did you find touring for two years with this show in contrast to your previous experience working on this freelance basis? Yeah, so the freelance works I've done, I've enjoyed kind of the freedom and trying different projects, learning different tools with different choreographers, being very intimate with the audience because it was mainly small stages and then also taking responsibility of developing own material within the project. Then I always had the feeling I would love to go on a big stage, like a big show. So I had friends that were dancing in some Cirque du Soleil shows and I was a Michael Jackson fan, I must say, <laughs> always. Yeah, I, I auditioned actually the first time in Las Vegas and it was an open call where there were like 300 dancers and I was offered a job for the Mirage in the, the Beatles show. In those times, I was offered 10 shows a week, one-year contract in Vegas. At that time, I was so into exploring myself as a dancer within the battle scene and being creative as a dancer that I didn't want to become a machine in a show who replaced someone else. So I denied that job with a really shaky voice because I wasn't sure if it was the, the right choice. It was a big job, but not what I really felt. It was right in my heart. Then years later, maybe three years later, they asked me to join the Michael Jackson Immortal World Tour, which, of course, Michael Jackson, I was a big fan, and it was a touring show. For me, that's much more interesting to be doing 10 shows a week in one city in Vegas. And that was actually my wish to be in a big, big, big show. And that was, I think, one of the biggest shows that was touring in the world because we had 37 trucks touring and we were mainly in the U.S. So my family is in the U.S. So they were able to see me perform form which was amazing to be closer to them just to be part of this huge machine and see how it works with the technology the admin the organization the dancers were able to learn aerial work so one month we were just focusing on aerial work getting used to the harness flying up and down spinning in the air and that takes also time for the body to adjust lots of different costumes so it was very much more a commercial show but in a way challenging in a different way so yeah we toured us and europe It was one of a lifetime experience. Did you find that having done all of the different styles really helped in this experience of learning this choreography or preparing you for this, this show and this tour? Yeah, I mean, as a young teenager, I always copied also MTV music videos and also learned Michael Jackson moves. Maybe everyone has done that before, or most of the people. <laughs> I really like learned the dances of Beat It or Thriller. And then suddenly being in the studio, learning it from original choreographer, the original movement, which was always the mirrored way, because if you're in a video, you learn it as a mirror, but in the original, it's the other side. So I was a bit confused in the audition. I kind of was familiar with the material, but really learning it from the source was like, wow. A dream come true. There were many, many dancers and acrobats. We were able to work with the original band from MJ. So just talking with them, maybe taking singing lessons from one of the singers, maybe learning some pole dance from a pole dancer. It was great. And during tour, we also had time, you know, to, to learn from each other, which was really fun. And I really appreciated it. That amazing opportunity was two years long you were with the show. Did you choose to leave or was it just the end of your contract and the run of the show? 
Yeah, so the original contract was three years. After two years, I mean, I was very happy and the experience was very special. I just felt as a dancer or an artist, I missed a bit the growth and being creative myself and go more into depth of movement and into telling more stories or personal stories. I felt that need to grow as an artist. I somehow felt I need to move on. And then by chance, my partner at that time was in the Akram Khan company and they were still looking for female dancers. So he suggested me in my time off. I secretly auditioned in London for the company and it went quite well and they offered me a job and for me that was then the choice to say okay I will leave this show to join the Akram Khan company. It was really a more uh, personal reason not a financial reason because many were like why are you leaving you earn much more here but it wasn't about the money and it was never about the money in the end i was very happy about the decision obviously ekram khan such a, a massive name in the contemporary world but what was it that kind of attracted you to working with him in particular or that you were really interested in about his choreography that made you want to leave your previous job to work with him so to be honest before i auditioned i didn't know him i was like who's akram and everyone's like oh you don't know akram khan i said oh yeah maybe we'll get a job so yeah actually after getting the job I was like okay who is he actually I knew okay it was a contemporary dance company that is really established and of course it works differently than a Michael Jackson show so I knew I would be challenged in a different way when I arrived and met the team I really felt connected with the vibe and also the influences of Katak with the Indian classical dance mixed with the contemporary dance I felt very familiar especially with the articulation of the hands that are very precise, maybe in connection with the Philippine folk dance. So there is something that I felt really connected with from the very beginning. And also this influence of the martial art, which I had to train again because I was dancing two years in shoes and suddenly I have to dance barefoot. And my feet were like bleeding. <laughs> my feet were not used to that. But with training and lots of spinning, 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 I got used to it again. My size of the shoes went one size bigger, <laughs> I guess, of the growth of the muscles. It was actually what I wanted to be challenged as a dancer and also to go deep into uh, narratives, into characters to also kind of you know transform the body and also learn a lot of rhythmical patterns and really be challenged also with counts in a very different way they were not just eights there were lots of other numbers we had to learn so there was a lot i could get inspired by and also be challenged so that stayed for the next seven eight years <laughs> what was the first work that you were in with him what was the the first work with Akram that you did? It was Itmoy in the mind of Igor, inspiration of Rites of Spring. And he did his own version with 11 dancers. And yeah, we've been touring, I think, three years with that piece. So normally he creates a piece and then it tours two, three years and then he creates a new piece. In total, I've been like doing three different creations or pieces. Before we ever met or talked to each other, I remember I saw you in Until the Lions at the London Roundhouse. I think it would have been like 2016 now, which was an amazing piece and very pertinent for this podcast as it was about reimagining the Mahabharata from a female perspective. Can you tell me a little bit about being part of that creation process what inspired you about being part of this piece in particular what was special about the piece was that Akram himself was on stage with us so that was a really nice shift compared to Itmoy and it was really more about the journey of a character and how our or my body physicality interprets this character of the Mahabharata into dance with my background sometimes there were very animalistic elements that naturally came out of me okay what does it mean to be a warrior or female warrior what does it mean to 
transform from a woman into man, which is in the story. So there's a lot of transformation. So I was a, the character Shikandi, the reincarnation of Amba. We got these roles quite naturally. So Akram didn't say you are this, I'm that. But through the research, through the improvisation, in the end, it was quite natural that I'm taking over this character. And it was a very intense research and journey, very physical, very emotional, because it's also us three on stage and four musicians that we have to hold this journey and this very epic story <laughs> somehow. Yeah, I learned a lot through this character and also how each show, because we also toured two, three years, how each show you can always explore new things and you go deeper within the piece. So it's not like we finish the premiere and then we just repeat it. There's always a rehearsal director who gives notes to change or makes the piece better and better and to find more layers in the character. So you were with Akron for seven years. More recently, as well as being a performer and having such a successful career as a performer, you've also more recently started to begin exploring creating your own work. What prompted you to start wanting to explore your own choreographic voice in, in creating your own pieces? So I was always curious how choreographers work and when they even speak to the dramaturg and how they're trying to solve or find solutions and I was so interested how do they manage what they talk about even in the breaks so I felt like Akram was also a big mentor and an inspiration I also noticed that choreographers were always really happy me proposing material so I felt okay I have maybe this sense of creating good material so maybe I should try to do my own choreography. Christoph Winkler, the choreographer I worked for the first time in my career, he actually proposed me to create my own version of the witch dance of Mary Wigman. So there was this witch dance project in Sophienzele Berlin 2016 and he said I know you danced it before the Poloka why don't you do your own version. So that was the first impulse actually through him asking me and then I was like oh yeah right maybe I would give it a try and right after I had many ideas and vision of how I would approach this project. So I felt okay it was naturally really my creative mind was having now the space and also money to do something so I really took that opportunity and worked on a solo and also took my time to explore my own movement vocabulary that has different influences and see okay this witch dance how can I evolve it that it's more personal experience and not just copying Mary Wigman's movement. So that's how Babae came to life. It was part of Era Waves' Spring Forward Festival in 2020, which was, of course, at the height of the pandemic and everything had to go online. But yeah, it's such an amazing piece and you've told us about some of the roots there, but can you tell us a little bit more about how you took Wigman's original choreography and kind of made it your own and what were some of the influences that came into play to help you make your own version? The witch dance is mainly in a sitting position where she's having a mask and having this gestures with the hands. So I really took that position almost one-to-one -one and then developed extra layers. So instead of a mask, I was putting my hair, covering my face. I was researching a lot about witches in general and also shamanism in Eastern cultures. So there's something about transformation of the body also into animals. <laughs> so I took a lot of also, even again, it's somehow always haunting me, these animalistic movements, which is very earthy. I was really thinking of the connection to nature with witchcraft in general as all these elements that is part of the philosophy. There's something about this female figure or this woman, which is always mainly a woman. 
and about, okay, who is this woman? And there's this dance in the Philippine folk dance, Banga, which is only danced by women. And there's something of the pelvis moving very in a snake and they carry the pots on their head. So there's a certain pride in their body and focus and strength that really inspired me. So there's something about this female energy that I could explore in different dance styles, such as in voguing. So it was the witch, the female body, and this ritual that I kind of find a way to combine into the solo. Maybe I alluded to it before, but I find in this solo in Babai, you can see that there's all these different influences or elements at play, like the Philippine folk dance with the hand gestures and also the voguing and all of these things from your training and different styles that you've worked in, but they come together so seamlessly that if you pick it apart, you can see them, but it's not like there's these sudden breaks between them that all really blended well together. Do you think this came naturally to you as you'd been training in everything for so long or do you think you really had to spend time crafting them together or is it just a natural result out of your body? No, I think it's it's quite a craft. It's training and research. It's easy to put box to box to box. Okay, now I'm voguing, now I'm doing this, now I'm doing the witch. So for me, it was interesting to how, what do I want to express in this scene and which qualities serves this message or this state of being. And even if there's a twist, like maybe my legs are in the Philippine folk technique, but my upper body is somewhere else. <laughs> is more the animals so it's also dividing the body parts isolating the body parts as you may say in the different qualities so it's not really recognizable oh this is not this this is not that i want to avoid to say to just put it in a box because that's not interesting for me it's more about okay how does that fusion does that really tell what i want to say or what i want the people to feel or how does it make me feel talking about what you want to say or what you wanted to say with the piece we've discussed this briefly before because we've talked about this piece a lot for post-show discussions and things but just for listeners who haven't heard them before i'm as i've said to you before a big mary vigman fan as well and her witch dance was very radical in how it presented the female dancer on stage in the 20s primarily as you said like having a mask and being on the floor and being very grounded etc but what conversations do you think are still left to be had about presentations of the female body on stage or how did you want your version of her witch dance to contribute to these conversations and discussions almost 100 years later yeah, for me, the topic of a witch, maybe the first thing that comes in mind is like, okay, the, the bad witch or the victim and in history, they've been through a lot. But there's something about the woman that I feel I, I didn't want to become just a victim on stage telling the story of the massacre of witches, but also the strength and the wisdom and the knowledge this figure can have, the power, but also the fragility and sensitivity in terms of connecting with nature or the spirituality or the unknown for many others, which gives her strength that maybe she knows things others don't know, but that's her craft. But that's also a learning process in herself as this figure on stage. How does she do this ritual in order to go through these different states of being in order to achieve a higher transcendence? Because towards the end, it kind of goes into a trance and it leads to, yeah, almost letting go from like repeating a ritual, like learning a language, repeat, repeat till you are able to speak freely 
really and there's something about it's the same kind of same concept in the solo so for me it was also to celebrate the woman in all its versions that was important for me also the rawness of the woman and the beauty and the ugliness and also not just the femininity but also the animalistic or the masculinity in a woman all these layers are even really nuanced in parts of the piece that was important for me to not just be black and white as I mentioned I first saw it as part of Spring Forward Festival in 2020 which was online due to the coronavirus pandemic how did you feel about showing your piece in this way about showcasing Babai in this way just in general not in specific reference to Babai how did you find having to work digitally a lot due to corona especially when you'd recently transitioned into creating your own choreography was it a frustrating experience obviously I know the whole past three years were very difficult for everyone and frustrating but what were some of the challenges or do you also feel that the pandemic inspired your choreography and your practice moving forward for example working with film or digital media it was a very new experience of course also frustrating because we were so used to feel the energy of the audience and being there on stage but there was something beautiful of still having another channel to share the work so I was really grateful to at least share the work online knowing that maybe others on the other side of the screen are watching it you maybe not feel it but you know they're there <laughs> and I was wondering how do they experience the solo not seeing it live but just as a video and how would they criticize the piece or how would they experience the piece so it was interesting to also hear others opinions yeah just to hear what they felt when they watched the piece and also that it actually could transmit through the screen for a few people or quite many which I was really happy about and I guess it's also depending on the recording <laughs> it has to be a good quality I was lucky to have this footage I mean that was basically that helped me to get awareness even through the pandemic times having a really good video <laughs> of my work it definitely for me came through the screen at least but then I was also very happy to see it live at Dance Umbrella last year and it felt like yeah. a completely different piece and especially how the props interact with you I don't want to give too much away about the end of the piece but how a certain element of your performance or a stage element that you use affects your movement I'm not going to spoil it in case other people go and see it yeah that was completely transformed in real life yeah I mean it, it, it is difficult and it's very different of course on video is not the same than live and I really hope that videos are not going to replace live performances for sure but in those times of not knowing <laughs> What's going to happen? I was happy to at least share it through the spring forward online. But after that, I was able to perform live in some cities through Arrow Waves. I was very happy to go back on stage. And after COVID, it also took time to get... I must say, back in shape and connecting to the body because the piece was since 2016. So it's been a while I've been doing it. And then to reconnect with the piece again and maybe find new new layers in it, I could still connect to it. So it was not like too far away from my personality now. And I'm still like performing it and still like a big part of me and a very profound work. Aside from this piece, you have also created many other things, also working on different projects. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about what other choreographic projects you've been working on over the past few years or the past year that you're particularly proud of I think I saw you posting the other day about your piece The Fall that you created with Hannes Langolf maybe you could tell us a little bit more about that I met Hannes Langolf in the Akram Khan 
company. We were dancer friends and we already in those times had a quite nice connection. And Akram Khan actually proposed us to collaborate together in the residency in Orsolina, which is in Italy. So we met again after many years not seeing each other and said, okay, let's do something. <laughs> so we went with the flow actually with less pressure and just exchange. We had, of course, a topic and elements and tools we want to work with, with the Nixon speech. And it was about the failure of the arrival on the moon, the fall. So it's actually about humans always to search for perfection and success. But what if we fail and what possibilities would that open up for us? So basically it was the same thing. We landed in Orsolina, both of us, and we're like, okay, what are we going to do? If we had no structure, no rules, how would we create the perfect world? In a very playful way, I guess the chemistry was supporting our flow of creation in terms of movement qualities. I think we're very both good in isolation and movement, but we're also quite humoristic when we both connect. <laughs> So there are also some funny movements. And because it was an outdoor stage in Orsolina, we had the sky and the most amazing panorama view. So we said, we're going to use this. We need to use this. So we had smoke bombs that went up into the air. So it was a very special piece and beautiful to perform underneath the sky. So it was very connected to this openness and nature. Even though we have created this 40-minute piece in basically 10 days, people really appreciated it. And then we had several shows coming up also again in Italy. And we're trying to show it in other cities i didn't realize it was created at orsolina in italy i've never been but i've been seeing it a lot across the internet recently or it's been popping up a lot and it looks like an amazing space to create in no it is i mean it is a beautiful place to be and the food is great the people are great you get taken care of and there's not much around so you can really dive into creation and focus on that but in a beautiful scenery of nature it was very special <laughs> as well as creating your own work you've also continuing to support other choreographers for example like Akram Khan and also Viviana Durante could you tell us a little bit about what this entails so yeah I've worked with the Viviana Durante company it was a commissioned work where it was about Isadora Duncan and she asked me to create a new work inspired by Isadora Duncan. It was a triple bill, original piece by Isadora Duncan, a piece by Frederick Ashton, and then my piece was the, the premiere that premiered in the Barbican in London. was asked also to do it and to create a new work, and that was in my beginnings of being a choreographer, so I actually said, yeah, yeah, I want to <laughs> learn and take the opportunity also to practice, to explore what is my voice as a choreographer, and especially working with a biography or a philosophy of uh, someone else in history which has done influenced or is just revolutionary it is quite a big responsibility and also scary <laughs> finding your own voice within the other voice i read a lot about uh, life and art her book so i was always also very interested in her personal life that also affected her professional art life so it, that's also involved in the piece yeah so it, i called it unda Unda means waves in Latin because her life has always been connected to water, she loving to dance near the ocean, or even when she was pregnant, she was near the ocean. Also storms of drama that broken down her house, it was water. So there's something with water that has always been present in her life. Also her children, they drowned in the Seine, in the river. It's quite dramatic in her life, all the chaos and traumatic events happen, how she dealed with it as a mother, as an artist, as a dancer. It was quite interesting and inspiring for me to read and to create with this information and these sources. And generally, I'm very interested also because Isadora is also about the inside out, the emotion, the feeling that we feel and how do we 
express ourselves through the body that is truly coming from inside. And there's something I really love about this philosophy and I'm still relating to nowadays in my work is everyone's personal story, even with the different energies of different dancers with different backgrounds. I always try to find a way of giving space for them to express themselves, but also to inspire and learn from each other within their differences because of all the history of learning different styles and techniques within all the years and also creating a few solos i'm now interested more in working with dancers from different backgrounds i can relate to in the styles and to find a common language somehow but also make them stand out in their own qualities so there's a project that i'm planning which is called passage 4.7 we got the npn research for that and we've been working on it this year and now we're applying for more money to find a premiere but it's also with a visual art design and it's actually about a journey and the inspiration of a modern pilgrimage and i feel all my work is mostly about a transformation about a journey a shift or profound changes in, in life may it be a physical or emotional shift i guess because i've always been traveling there's <laughs> something about I, i need to be in movement actually in two weeks or in march we will have a premiere of the wizard in us inspired by the wizard of us <laughs> where i'm also performing in and we have all, also these four characters so it's a reinterpretation of the wizard of us um, for a young audience in berlin amazing well i look forward to seeing more about those projects in the future kind of related to that i wanted to ask you looking forward what some of your ambitions for the future are either in the short term or in the long term like crazy dreams of things that you'd like to do in the future i want to continue creating collaborate and work with dancers i still want to dance myself let's see how long i can do that but also yeah creating choreography maybe going towards my own company but at the same time on a personal level it's also the question of becoming a mother do i want a family i think as a woman it's always that question of career family the body that you know has to take its time <laughs> and of course for uh, for a child so i'm quite in that kind of shift in life or question in life <laughs> So, um, but for sure, I want to, you know, in both is possible. I'm sure. I hope. <laughs> in terms of like motherhood and dance, have you had many discussions with other people? Are there any kind of role models in the dance industry who are still working on their careers and also have a family that you've talked to about that or who set a good example? Yeah, I mean, I have friends. They're touring a lot. Both uh, the couple, the parents are both leading a company and they have a child. And of course, they bring the child with them. I guess it's a question of organization and it works. I guess it's also a decision how you want to raise the child. I mean, Crystal Pied has a child, I think, and she's successful. I mean, I think it really depends also your family situation. My family is far away. I guess you need people, family to support you that are able to help you in case you maybe have to work. I have a lot of hope because I have some role models and friends that are doing it very well. But I'm sure it's not it's not easy, but it's part of life. I'm looking forward to what's going to happen. Joy, it's been so amazing to speak to you today. I have one final question for you because this is the Terpsichore podcast. We always ask our interviewees if that they could meet and talk to any female dance practitioner from history or alive today, if you prefer. Who would it be and why? And maybe what would you like to ask them? Yeah, I was wondering. I mean, Pina Bausch is a big one, <laughs> of course. I didn't know exactly what I want to ask if I had 
like one question, I would rather experience something with them. Maybe have a cigarette with Pina Bausch and a small talk or to dance with Isadora Duncan at the beach, you know, <laughs> and just to exchange and feel her energy. I mean, that's something what I would really love to do. I love Crystal Pite. I would love her to choreograph for me. I mean, on my body, to just feel her way of thinking in my body. There's something beautiful of her details and, and articulation, but also in virtuosity in the body. And so I really love Crystal Spider. It's very inspiring. I don't have a direct question, but I would love to spend time with them. No, that's really beautiful. I would also love to dance on the beach with Isadora Duncan. <laughs> Every time I see that photo, that famous photograph of her on the sand, I'm always envious or would love to be there with her. Yeah, yeah. They were great answers. Thank you so much joy for speaking to us today and have a lovely rest of your evening yes thank you so much emily i hope you enjoyed this episode of the terpsichore podcast with the amazing joy alberto ritter if you would like to find out more about joy's work you can follow her on instagram at joy underscore alberto underscore ritter or check out her website at www.joyalpertoritter.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, I'd be so grateful if you could subscribe and leave us a rating and review, as it helps other people to find us. You can also follow the Tepsichore podcast on Instagram at tepsichore underscore podcast or Twitter at tepsichore underscore pod. Thank you so much again for listening to the Tepsichore podcast with me, Emily May.